Podcast, episode number 127. This is Greg Duncan. And this is Josh Garverick. Hey, Josh. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're recording a Radio TFS, so how can that not be good? I absolutely agree. <laughs> and I've got a new uh, DevOps partner here who's going to help me. Uh, uh, he's from our IT group. He's now moved over to our development group. He's going to be helping me install TFS 2017 and taking over all this DevOps stuff. So now we got two, like, you know, source control, DevOps, configuration management guys. You know, that, that's cool. What about you? How you been doing? Good, busy. Um, just recently uh, acquired a new team. So um, I'm now overseeing and managing not only the DevOps team, but also our uh, architecture too. So uh, a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on with that. And every day is a new adventure. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So um, for you listeners out there, this is going to be a, a, a show, a news show. Uh, hopefully I won't be as kind of discombobulated as I was the last show. It was a great show having the cake guys on, but uh, I, I mean, there was just brain farts left and right. <laughs> oh, is that what that was? The, yes, that was uh, that was that smell. Yeah. Um, but first, I wanted to pick our host's brain on uh, SonarCube. I remember I told you we got a, I got a new DevOps guy. One of the missions I want to give him is uh, uh, bringing a SonarCube on prem and you know setting up a VM for it. And then I've already been researching all the the build tasks and stuff. Uh, so, Josh, have you worked with SonarCube much at all? I've worked with it some. I wouldn't say that I'm an expert by any means, but we do currently have an instance in house. Um, it's sitting on a VM in Azure at the moment, and we're trying to fine-tune the process to get it to do static analysis on uh, our major code base. And we're also in the process of kind of breaking that major code base up into smaller uh, domain-centric code bases. And uh, the idea is to actually have those domain-centric code bases have their own profiles in SonarCube and, and have that hook into the CI process to try and identify and detect any issues. Um, setup, honestly, is pretty easy mm -hmm. overall. Um, if you're going to get into fancy pants stuff like Active Directory <laughs> integration and, and things like that, it's going to, you know, there's a learning curve there. Mm -hmm. I've yet to play around with writing my own custom Roslyn analyzers because that's one thing you can do is, is actually write your own analyzers for things. Uh, usually sticking with things like the FX cop analysis right. tools, resharper, you can lo load resharper profiles in there and do stuff like that. Um, setting up your agents, your build agents to actually collect the, the information is pretty trivial too. And you just install the, the runner assemblies on there and Java. <laughs> yes, Java, the same Java. Um, so you do, oh, so it has to be on my agents too. Okay. Yeah. It, you do have to have it on your build agents too, because what ends up happening okay. is that during the build process, it, it'll download the profile from SonarCube and mm -hmm. then use that profile to perform the static analysis while it's doing the build. Okay. So it needs to be on the actual build agents themselves. And once that's complete, it'll upload the, the results of the, the scan and do all that stuff. And it'll process. Now, uh, another thing to keep in mind too, is your code base. If it's really really extensive like mm -hmm. ours is um, your analysis times can take upwards of one to two hours okay so uh one thing that we did do is we adjusted the sonar cube timeout there's in the documentation for sonar cube there's a there's a setting that you can set at the build level that will allow sonar cube to remain open for so many seconds you can also set the build time to something insane like 120 minutes which is unfortunately <laughs> what we had to do for it to work um 
but that that makes sure that the connection stays open and it doesn't time out on you. It'll still complete on the sonar side, but it'll just show up as a build failure on your build side. So if you want to avoid seeing the red and would prefer to see, you know, nice, happy green, then, right. then that's what you would want to take a look at in case you run into issues. Are you using it only for like C Sharp or any other language plugins or anything? For right now, we're using C Sharp. I know we can do some JavaScript and CSS things as well, but... Right. Honestly, a lot of this stuff is just double OTB out of the box. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, what about the, the database backend? That was one of the questions. Talk, <laughs> talk about being selfish and using this show for my purposes. But um, <laughs> uh, the database backends I know can hook with, with SQL Server. Do you know uh, licensing? Could I run that on Dev Edition SQL Server? Or do, would, do you have any idea on that one? Honestly, I don't remember. I would have to go and look at the the documentation. I know currently ours is running on Azure SQL. Okay. So whatever the license, you know, whatever licensing revolves around that, but right. Yeah, you would think because the Dev Edition you can use it for development, QA, non-production. But I guess our this is kind of production in a DevOps sense. Um, and it might be skating the icky edge. That's that's my favorite oxymoron is production dev. <laughs> confuses so many people. <coughs> what do you do? I support I support production dev. What? <laughs> okay, so let's do some news. Uh, I'm going to start off, and listeners, Josh and I, we're just kind of going to ping back and forth uh, on these items. So if we sound confused or discombobulated, well, it's because we are, you know, just works that way. But hot off the press, as in just announced minutes ago, as we record this on Wednesday, December 7th, uh, the Build 2017 dates were announced. Now that's exciting. Yeah. May 10th through the 12th. So it's later in the year and it's in downtown Seattle this time again. That's pretty awesome. I mean, it's it's traditionally been in San Francisco, right? I mean, that's the that's kind of you think build, you think San Francisco. Yep. Yep. And that was I, I, I let me see. I missed the first quote unquote build, which was in Anaheim. Then they did the a Redmond one. And then since then, it was in San Francisco. Okay. And now they're going to Seattle. So I don't know. If, I hope it's not going to be like the build that they did in Redmond because that was kind of uh, I, it was it was hard to shove all those thousands of people there into where we did the MVP summit. Oh, in thirty three. Yeah, oh. yeah, they did in thirty three, and then they split it off. Some of the sessions were like across campus. They had a big tent where they did the meals and the reception and stuff out in the soccer field. Yeah, it, it was kind of a weird thing. Yeah, it, sounds, but that, it sounds logistically like it was probably very troublesome. Yeah, yeah. So maybe this time they'll just do it there in downtown Seattle and at the, not in Bellevue, but actual Seattle. It'll be interesting. So what, one of the other things we like to talk about when it's not breaking news is um, the new releases. Yes. And Aaron Dormier has just posted um, how to follow a pull request, task versioning, and search for commits in branches, among many, many other things. Um, a lot of good stuff has been coming out of that group recently, and um, it just it continues to astound me just how many different things they can get done in a three-week cadence. <laughs> I was telling you about my new DevOps guy. Yeah. Um, He's asking me, what should I read? You know, what resources can I find? And he, he showed me these two TFS 2015 books. 
Yeah, that were, you know, RTM versions of TFS 2015. I'm like, oh, well, those are like way out of date. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's totally different now. And TFS 2017 just came out. But by the time the book's out for that, those books would be out of date. And, uh, you know, you could look at VSTS, but that's ahead. And <laughs> his eyes are just starting to spin and glaze. was like, uh, so. Right. Yeah. So, so basically don't buy any books and, uh, I listen to Radio TFS. That's how. That's that's what. It is. <laughs> and Oscar, I know you're listening. So we're talking about you, my friend. Mm-hmm. So the other cool thing in here too is that uh, Linux agents are going to be a part of the hosted build pool. So that gives uh, first class support things like that, which is really nice. Nice, cool. And we'll have the links to this in the show notes. Um, Brian Harry did a did a small one small post about it, but we'll have the actual version notes in the show notes. And uh, speaking of Brian, he posted the uh, TFS and Team Services uh, Q4 roadmap, uh, at least the update for the Q4 roadmap. And we've talked about the uh, features timeline in the past. Well, it's been updated and you can see what features are coming and approximately when and approximately what version of the on-prem you know, like, uh, for, for example, the package protocol, the NT- NPM support is coming in update one of 2017. There's thanks for update two for 2017. So if you're interested in future features or again, you want to see the kind of pace of updates, go to this and, uh, it'll kind of like blow your mind because you'll see all of these features that are currently out in, in, uh, VSTS. And you'll see which ones have made 20, TFS 2017 or will be making a future version, uh, you know, like update one. Uh, but, yeah, this is just crazy, man. Yeah. Like I said, it never ceases to amaze me. Just the And even just being a part of the, the summit and things like that, just the amount of ideas and things that get, that get bounced around and, and actually make it onto backlogs. And it's just keep up the good work, guys and gals. <laughs> so uh, um, talking about, you know, 2017 just RTM'd last month, right? Last, well, November. Yeah, it was beginning of November. Yeah. Uh, have you been seeing any uh, articles about upgrades? As a matter of fact, there's one that just came in not too long ago. Um, I'm afraid I don't have a first name for our author here, but again, you'll find it in the show notes. So I'll attempt to pronounce the last name in, in my best Greg Duncan impression. Uh, Metagandon is the last name. Wow. That yeah. was good, man. You're yeah. good. So it wasn't a good Greg impression because I would have butchered that all to hell. Yeah, I should, so. I should have started with, I should have read it backwards. Or <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? God, so competent. Okay, so. Even my, there, even my son makes fun of me, man. He's all like, God, I'm trying to pronounce something. I'm going to ah, that, that. He's like, Dad, are you having a stroke or something? It's like, no, shut up. He walks up, slaps you on the back a couple times. I think he's broken. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so sorry. Let, let's talk about the the article. Yes, yeah, so this article is actually an MSDN blog post, and it's rather comprehensive. Uh, goes through all of the prereqs that you need. Uh, talks about things, even like you know, insert weird music here. SharePoint. <laughs> I know some folks are that's that's bread and butter, so I can't be too mean. But um, there's screenshots galore in here to go through the configuration wizards. I mean, everything you should you could possibly need to know on how to to do the upgrade is is all listed right there. So it's a good read. Nice, nice. And, and there's actually one point that I wanted to make point uh, uh, point out. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about uh, Ben Day's article. We talked about this a couple shows 
ago, the 80 plus page step by step guide mm-hmm. to do a bare metal install. Uh, you are, we were, Oscar's doing that right now for us. He's, that's kind of his like onboarding thing, spinning up a new TFS. We're not going to upgrade our existing one. We're just going to go newest everything and, and put uh, 2017 on that. Uh, but there's a SQL Server 2016 KB uh, uh, service pack hotfix that you have to apply as well. So make sure that you, you keep an eye on that. And the installer will tell you. It'll actually wide at you and say, hey, you've got 27, uh, SQL Server 2016 on there, but you need KB X, Y, and Z. So there's something to keep in mind. And I'm not sure if Ben's article talks about it. We'll have the link in the show notes for this. And this is what uh, Oscar's going through and installing now. Another thing, are you guys, are you guys, let's talk about you guys again. Um, containers. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned Linux and, and Docker and stuff. Are you doing a lot with containers? No, actually, we're not. Um, not that it's out of the scope of possibilities because nothing is ever truly out of the scope of possibilities. <laughs> um, it's something I've been looking at, especially with a lot of the announcements around, you know, a couple of weeks ago with uh, support for Kubernetes coming to, to ACS and things like that. And just saw this come out. I think I don't remember exactly when this came out, but I saw it on Twitter yesterday that there's a free ebook out there for containerized Docker application lifecycle with Microsoft platform and tools. And this gives you a really good overview on how to um, actually use containerized applications and uh, the Visual Studio family of, of tools. So it uh, talks about creating ASP.NET Core web applications, getting those containerized, running, you know, debugging them in Docker, mm. uh, provisioning Linux build VMs. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's just really awesome to see this kind of information out and about and free. Nice. So is this uh, ebook like for Linux geeks or is this for, uh, is it a sales job or is it truly? No, I think you definitely, I mean, I don't know that you have to be, you know, level 99 geek mm-hmm. to get this, but you definitely should have at least the tendency to be Linux geeky. I think you have to have, you have to have a little bit of setup knowledge and stuff like that. Uh, but it's not, it's not overpowering in any, in any sense of the word. So. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at it now, and it's, uh, let me see, uh, it's uh, mainly for dev leads, architects, and IT operations people who are new to Docker-based application development. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Good. And the secondary audience is technical decision makers. Oh, there must be pictures in there if managers are going to be reading it. There are. <laughs> Uh, another, you know, speaking of containers, uh, Dr. Graham Smith, who we've uh, talked about before, and I got to love the blog title, Please Release Me, Continuous <laughs> Delivery, DevOps, ALM, and a mostly Microsoft Azure world. He has a new post, uh, Continuous Delivery with Containers Using Visual Studio Team Services and Docker to Build and Deploy SP.NET Core to Linux. And this is a, a, a post in a series that he's been doing talking about all the details, all the clicks, all the pictures, uh, you know, how, how to do all the Linux side, because, you know, I wouldn't know what to do on the Linux side. Personally, it's been a long time since I've done anything Linuxy. So this would be a great resource for people like that. You've just read that ebook. Now you want to start doing it, doing it. I, I think this is going to be a, an article you want to read as well. Yeah, come on, man. It's like, it's like riding a bike, the Linuxes. <laughs> the Nixes. It's like riding a bike, man. You fall off to get back on, except when you get back on, somebody changed out the, the back chain drive. You know, instead of a NIT D, it's system D now. Nobody knows what happens, but it works. <laughs> nice. I'm sure I'll get some 
I'll get some shade for that. I'm sure. <laughs> and we'll give you guys all the, the feedback. Uh, uh, addresses how to contact us, you know, Josh Garverick at Rick. No, I'm yeah, kidding. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's some bus tires hitting me right now. I don't know what, what's going on with that. It's so weird. <laughs> so, I don't know if this is my story or, you, or yours. I kind of lost track, but well, I think we so we just covered Dr. Graham Smith's post, and right, this kind of this next one doesn't necessarily uh follow in the container workflow but it does it does uh deal with grouping things understanding okay. task groups and various <laughs> use cases now i started as soon as i found out that you could group tasks uh-huh. i grouped all the tasks i grouped tasks i used task groups to make groups that had task groups in them i mean it was very dr <laughs> Seussian and inception like and I, it was just yeah it was bad news but you know after the initial excitement of ooh, task group all the things i figured out hey this is really useful and um, Harshal Lodi actually has a really good post on on what the task groups are meant to do, how they execute on the build agents, um, how to use them in practical application. It's it's really nice. And um, I still refer to them. I, I think initially when they were released, they were called the meta task. So I still refer mm. to them as meta task <laughs> because it sounds <laughs> ominous and fantastic. Yeah, give that a read if you're if you're looking to try and streamline, you know, a series of tasks that you can repeat across multiple build or release definitions. Uh, can I say that I'm the build guy and I haven't actually grouped any of my tasks? Get to grouping, I, bud. Uh-oh. Okay, well, I, <laughs> luckily it's still uh, early here in Los Angeles, so I I've got all the rest of the day to go and and, and group my group my group my group my tasks. <laughs> you're going to have one task group to rule them all. <laughs> Martin will be so proud. (laughs) So what else do we have? Visual Studio Team Services, a continuous integration platform for GitHub. Now, that's an interesting post. Uh, MVP wrote it. uh, Devad David? Ben Vu Ben Ben, Ben, I can't pronounce your last name. Ben guy. And uh, Marco Minerva. 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 Marco Minerva. There we go. <sighs> okay, Josh, you and everybody else will stop rolling your eyes. I can see, I can hear you rolling your eyes. I'm going to stop that. I must have a good microphone. <laughs> well, considering how, you know, the, the challenge we had getting started today. Oh, God. Don't, yeah, don't get me started on that. <laughs> got some days. You just got to hate Skype. I love Skype. Uh, but this post here talks about something that I have seen a lot mentioned. I, we've talked about it in the show in the past, just the, the power of VSTS. And it's, you know, we've talked about this. There's no silos anymore. You know, you use the right tools for the right job. If you've got your stuff in GitHub, but you want a continuous integration, you want to group some tasks, you know, well, then here's an article on exactly how to do it. Uh, so let's say you've got your... Uh, you, you want to keep your stuff in VSTS, but you also want to have like a public version of it as well. And you want to keep it in sync. You know, you want to have a public repository and a private repository. Now in VSTS, you can't have a public repository yet. So where do you put it? You put it out in Git somewhere. Well, um, Risi has got a great post. <laughs> that talks about just that. Keep a Git repository in sync between VSTF VSTS and TFS and Git. And he goes through the details on exactly how to do it. Lots of pictures. It doesn't actually look that hard, which is really pretty cool. 
Yeah, it's 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 not too bad. I mean, I'll, I mean, keeping that type of stuff as long as you're using Git across the board, it's uh-huh. very easy. This is, this is stuff. But now let's say you have a TFVC and, and you want to move it to Git. Uh-huh. Well, well, if that's the case, then Wes McDonald's got you covered. He he posted something migrating TFVC to Git, and that's actually using the Git TFS utility, which you can install via Chocolatey and other other sources. I'm assuming. I know you can do it through Chocolatey. I don't know if you can do it through others, but um, it will. And and I've had colleagues who've used this as well uh, to try and do a, a mock conversion, even of our own TFEC repository. And it works pretty well. It, it actually goes through and and recreates all of your your TFEC history if you want it wow. to. You can. I mean, you can obviously tailor that to however much you want to port in. Uh, but if history is something that you absolutely have to have, this will go through and do its best to try and even link up, you know, work items and things like that. It, it really does a good job. And and his post gives you kind of the, the blow by blow description of how to actually get it to convert. Nice. Nice. I keep thinking that, I, you know, there's the side of me that wants to move to Git because it's the it's the shiny and everybody's doing it. Microsoft's doing it. Everybody's doing it. But, you know, on-prem man, TFVC just works. Mm-hmm. It just gets the job done. You know, it just works. I mean, I personally, my my preference is Git. If mm-hmm. you have a use case that's very strongly supporting TFVC, though, there's no reason why you can't use it. Like you said, it works. Right. You know, it, it does what you need it to do. It's just a matter of what your intention is. <laughs> I told the story a couple months ago about a new guy who had joined the team. And, you know, he was he knew Git inside and out. And trying to teach him TFVC was an interesting experience. Is he still working there? Yeah, yeah, he is actually. Nice. Um, and uh, but now he moved to a Windows machine and he's using Visual Studio on it. And you know, he's finally finally grokked what a centralized um, version control system works. And he doesn't bitch and moan and complain about it hardly at all. Nice, one hundred percent assimilation. Well done. Sir. <laughs> Um, so we're talking about uh, builds and releases and tasks and stuff. Now, if you've been creating um, release definitions and you know the variables are in there and you want to like change a variable at runtime, you know, w- when you create the release, you found that it's not as easy as like it's a build. You know, when you create that build, you pop up the screen, you can change the variables. Well, release is a little bit different. So Figuring out how to do that, uh, Renee has got a great post about changing VSTS release variables at queue time. And that's that's the key. And that's where if you've never used it, that draft release. I, I, I've never used created. What, why would I do a create draft release? Here is why. I thought that was a great tip that you wouldn't necessarily find all by yourself. Yeah, I think overall the draft release is kind of a, a misunderstood beast. I mean, it's it's extremely valuable in trying to get things tested without mm-hmm. really impacting your mainline definition and being able to swap out. I mean, you can still swap out release variables at queue time regardless of whether it's a draft release or a regular release uh, as long as you enable that to to happen but Mm -hmm. i love the idea of having a draft release makes it way easier to to play with different things and make sure you're getting stuff to line up and speaking of uh we're still talking about builds and releases uh you know about the the ef code first stuff you know what the kids are doing with the code first (laughs) Uh, you know and the db migrations and all that stuff not the db i i have a i have a I'm an old guy problem with allowing entity framework 
to do my migrations. I, I just, I love code first. I, I actually, I, I think what, what I'm, I'm a database first code first guy. And that's kind of the shop that we're in. All of our database projects are managed uh, using SQL database projects. Uh, you know, we're using release management to deploy them now, uh, all that good kind of stuff. The thought of letting my code manage my migrations, I, I just, I have a hard time with that. Um, and, and how would you deploy that? I mean, if if you did that, how how would your release process get those code changes out there? Well, let's just ask Ben Day. Ben, ben happens to have uh, one of many excellent posts about uh-huh. using uh, TFS Build to deploy Entity Framework database migrations using the migrate.exe utility that's found in the the Entity Framework NuGet packet. Um, what's funny is we just um, it, it, my place of employment, we just implemented this for some of the uh, smaller projects that were, were breaking out of our larger code base. And it works like a charm. It, you, essentially, what you have to do is unpack the entity framework NuGet package, make sure that you have a step in there to move the migrate.exe along with the DLLs that it needs to operate. And you can directly execute migrate.exe to uh, force Entity Framework to do those database migrations. Now, obviously, that's you have to have that uh, isolated, and you have to make sure that you've got all of your I's crossed and your T's dotted. I mean, your I's dotted and T's crossed. Um, you know, all those all the things that you would expect to to mitigate any kind of data loss or anything like that. But right um, from a, a purely code first migration perspective, it's pretty awesome. Is it? And it's, it's, wow. it's pretty easy to set up. So Ben outlines it all. Yeah. Hmm. Think about that. I just, oh, so old school when it comes to like that, you know. It's funny, you, you, you do this, it's like, huh, I'll look at that. I could just imagine you like hiking your pants off, but just, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> Darn kids and their migrations. Yeah. Get off my migrations. Um, yeah, I have to get right with that idea. It is tough. Yeah. Well, and especially, I think I hated it because I didn't know how to do it in a release management kind of way. Mm-hmm. I knew you could do it in uh, Visual Studio and you can do the command and, and, and do the migration, do it that way. But the fact that I, I you know, it's like you know, publishing from Visual Studio is bad. You know, you don't do that. How do you do it in a, you know, DevOps, a CI, CD kind of world? And that's where, that's, this might change my mind. Ben's article on that. All right. Okay. Um, where are we at on the time on the show? We're only about 30-ish minutes in. So we got we got lots of time with you guys. I hope you guys got the rest of the day because we got a lot of news yet to cover. Well, maybe not that much. Okay. Uh, so we're talking about release management. And what do you do? You know, release management, the idea is great if everything is fixed. You know, you have one server for dev and one server for QA and one server for stage, one for production. Uh, um, but what if you do like ad hoc posts. I'll tell you what you do. You listen to, uh, you read Colin Dubofsky's post on using release management to manage ad hoc deployments. How do you guys, are you guys uh, relatively fixed like targets? Are do you doing ad hoc deployments? It, well, <laughs> our, <laughs> it depends. So okay. it, it does depend. Yeah. I was going to say we could probably have another show entirely just on the way that we do branch and release management just for the one code base that we have. So I'll leave it at that. It depends. Uh-huh. It depends. <laughs> well, he's, he's got a, actually a great example of, it. um, 
The problem is that RM doesn't have a great way to handle deployments that are slightly different every time. Let's take a typical example, ad hoc SQL scripts. Now, I can totally understand where he's coming from on that. You have that one script that you need to run one time against a select environment. So he goes in, into how you can do this, how you can do it, quote unquote, right, without giving up the ability to do ad hoc. So uh, read, the, read the post. The links will be in the show notes. And I like it how he's actually using Git and uh, using um, different PR requests, I think, to, to make it happen. And that way, if you're doing it that way, you can control it a little bit easier. Yeah, that's very true. And Matthew Mitrick gives us a, a nice uh, post around getting the most out of your pull requests with branch policies. Mm. And I will admit that I'm still a little bit mystified by branch policies. I understand them. <laughs> I understand what they're doing. Um, I guess they make a little bit more sense to me in certain respects um, than in, in others. But the thing that I like is that it lets you set up peer reviewing and it also can force builds, kind of like the gated build in the TFVC mm. world, right? Right. Um, this post goes through specifically how to set up your branch policies. Um, there's even some, I don't know if icono iconography is even a word, uh, <laughs> But it, I'm going to make it now. a word today, damn it. Yep. It's a word. I said <laughs> so. Um, but it, it'll actually give you some sort of visual uh, representation in the STS that says, yes, there are branch policies on this particular branch when you go into the branch browsing areas. Uh, you can require specific reviewers. You can automatically build PRs. So as soon as that request comes in, you tie it to a, a specific type of build. It'll build it, and it won't, you know, if it fails, then obviously, you know, hellfire and damnation. <laughs> or, or at least brimstone and and the siren of shame, maybe something like. It depends, it depends on your shop, I suppose. But um, you you have a lot of control over updating source and target branches. I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff in here. So I would give that a read if you if you have a propensity for wanting to control how people submit pull requests and how that stuff gets merged into your code base. Uh, look this up. I really like that. I really dig this idea around that. Uh, again, but it's for people who aren't Git, obviously, since we're talking about PRs. Mm. So one of the things we don't talk nearly enough about is how people are using VSTS to do insane and weird and crazy things. Uh, David West has this five-part series that he's been doing on how to blog with VSTS. So he's created like an entire blog, uh, static pages, and he's doing the setup and the coding and the work and the build and the release. So he's using VSTS to do like to manage his blog. And I just think that's awesome. I always love the the off-label implementation stuff. That, that type of stuff just, in some respects, it, it identifies a, a niche market, but it also identifies, you know, just you can do just about anything with these tools, <laughs> I mean, realistically. Uh, what was that? I'm trying to remember when we had the, the project templates and we had some of the most off-the-wall insane ones. I, I know we've talked about it on the show. It's been a couple of years now. But there were just some some project templates that were just like insane. People were doing things like I, I can't remember what it was. Oh, I have to go through the show and find that. But it was like a Dungeons and Dragons one. It was just some totally crazy thing, but just showed the potential of what you can do. And David West's post is the kind of the same thing. You know, there is no silo. VSTS is not just about code. You know, it's about uh, people, process, and product. 
That is true. You know what I'm going to do? Hmm. I'm going to build a choose your own adventure release management template. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. <coughs> Sorry, like yak all over the microphone. No, that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll put like I'll, I'll make it attached to every repo in your team project, and then depending on how you approve or uh, deny the specific requests, it'll depend on what actually gets released. But you won't really know what gets released until the last stage. <laughs> <laughs> so you could just be destroying your entire production environment. Who knows? Oh man, you are the devil. That's why I like you. I think it's <laughs> good stuff. So hey, this next one I think is is all you because I saw you post on Facebook and the Twitter about this one. So I'll let you handle that one. This is one of those ones that you look at it and you say, "Oh my God, how did I not know about this?" And this has gotten me more retweet tweets than hard, most of my tweets combined for the last month. Stephen Smith has this simple uh, tip that works on Windows 7 and greater. You know, if you're like me and it's, we're still at Windows 7 at work, uh, I don't know about you. You know, I'm, we I talk about I'm a clicky guy, so I have, uh, you know, File Explorer, Windows Explorer, you know, open, and I'm, I'm clicking around, and it's like, oh, I need to do a, you know, I want to run NPM here. I was like, oh, crap, okay, Windows X, all right, you know, start, run, CMD, copy the path, paste the path. I, I don't know how many times a day I do that, but entirely too many times. <laughs> Steven shows the awesome trick of the day. You have File Explorer open, okay, Windows Explorer 7 grader. You're in that folder in the address bar, you know, where it says C colon backslash Windows, type CMD and hit enter. Command prompt will open in that directory. No shift, right click, none of that crap, just CMD or PowerShell. Just type PowerShell up there and PowerShell will open and you'll already be in that directory that's in Windows Explorer. So I, that is just like my jaw dropped open and I just didn't believe it. I thought this was the coolest thing since sliced bread, I, obviously. I can't tell you how many times a day that saved me just doing that. So you're saying you've known about this for forever and I'm just behind the times again. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer not to confirm or deny that. <laughs> no comment. Yes. Uh, yeah, and I got a couple posts. Uh, um, Scott Lovegrove got, replied, is like, uh, Greg, yeah, it's only been around since, you know, 10 years ago. Shut up. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'll be over here with the XP. <laughs> Get off my Windows Explorer. Yeah, right. Um, all right. So it's ALM Ranger time. And we're going to share. Actually, you're an ALM Ranger. I am. So why don't you give us some of the news recently announced by the ALM Rangers? It would be my pleasure. <laughs> so first up, we've got our, our friend, our hero, our mentor, Willie Petershaub, sharing our experience of self-organizing teams. And I've been... I've not been a ranger since the inception of the group, but long enough to have been part of the rangers before self-organizing teams came about. And I'll tell you, switching over to that model has been really refreshing and a lot of fun because uh, it really shows you who's driven to to get results and get success out there. Um, if somebody happens to be, you know, slammed in in meetings you know like myself or, or anyone else someone else can pick up and, and and organize things and get things moving in the right direction to make sure that we all hit hit the the targets that we're setting which is really really nice um willie goes through and gives some good overviews as far as like the working model um tools 
all kinds of different things that play into this idea of self-organizing teams. Because you, you remember the the Rangers are, are an international group of mystery. Now, I mean, they're, uh, <laughs> but I mean, they're world. I mean, we're worldwide, and we right. have people in all kinds of different crazy time zones. So it's it's tough to really get folks together um, at a time that's you know amicable for everyone. So right. having these teams that can get things done and organized, kind of regardless of time zone and impediment and everything else is pretty impressive and willie just gives a really good overview of that and 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 you're saying it actually works self-organizing teams aren't a dream they're they actually work absolutely Absolutely. the as a matter of fact the azure dev test labs project that that i was on Mm -hmm. was one of those teams Hmm. um derek keeler who we who we know and admire he was one of the leads on that and we would trade off quite frequently um, if things came up, if you know, meetings, emergencies, PTO, things like that. I mean, we hit each other's backs for stuff like that, and it, it's worked through to completion. So it worked quite well. Awesome. So I have. To, I'm taking credit for this. I'm taking credit for this post. Okay. Um, well, actually, is, is it the next post? Kind of both. All right. So uh, Donovan Brown is Mr. DevOps. If you guys have watched Connect, if you've watched any of the things on it, and I still had to laugh. I'm not sure if we talked about it last show or not, but, uh, you know, he was up, they're going to do a publish of an example project, and he right mouse clicked and select publish, and everybody booed. Uh, boo. It was at the summit. <laughs> everybody booed. Yes. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he says, oh, don't worry, we're going to do it right. And he went into his demo and, and, and did it right way because devops is you know it's that repeatable process it's a union of people process and products to enable that continuous delivery of value to our end users so willie posted about where are the rangers in um donovan's zero to devops world he's got a great post about it and he he shows us again last show or recent shows i talked about this um graphic it was with martin and, and and it was like, hey, this cool DevOps graphic with the Donovan ground post and everything on that. I wish that were a sticker. Well, this other post that I'm taking credit for now, there is now officially a DevOps sticker that has that cool Donovan Brown uh, quote. And um, it's on Sticker Mule. It's there. It's cool. I've already ordered like 15 so I can t- post them all around my my shop here. Nice. Uh, and <laughs> I shared this with my team. This came out today, a DevOps sticker or a temporary tattoo. I want the temporary tattoo of zero to DevOps. It, nice, very subs- succinct post about what that really means. Infrastructure as code, continuous integration, automated testing, continuous delivery, deployment, release management, application performance monitoring, load test, and auto scale. Now, those seven things you can get on a temporary tattoo. Maybe. Well, the tattoo isn't available yet, but you can get the sticker. I suppose you could just write it on your hands like, you know, you used to write answers on your hands during uh, final exams. <laughs> Sharpie. Sharpie. <laughs> Bad move. <laughs> the wrong pen. Again. Damn it. Well, well, I would screw up the spelling, so that would be, it'd be like <laughs> cross out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Take a foreign language in, in high school, Greg? <laughs> How'd that work? Uh, well, I took it, but I just, yeah, I cheated through most of yeah. it. But, uh, uh, I need someone yeah. else to take the tests, you know. 
before the internet happened. Uh, but what's cool about that sticker is I, when I ordered them, uh, Sticker Mule gave me a, a $10 off on your order for these stickers. So I'm going to put this URL in the show notes and you can get $10 off when you order your DevOps sticker. How cool is that? Hey, free money. Are you kidding me? <laughs> wow, let's do it. All right. So where are we at? Oh, there was one other thing. Speaking of Donovan Brown, because, you know, it's, we haven't had him on the show. You know that? At all? Really? Never. He's he's in our people we want to have on the show. Yeah, we need to make list. we need to make that happen. Yeah, I think that's a 2017 must do. Mm-hmm. But um, he was on a Visual Studio Two box on Channel Nine, uh, using the Kanban board. Him and uh, uh, Sandra Batbold were on it, talking about it. A little 17 minute video, talking about using VSTS and Kanban. So that's a great post. Awesome. So it's feedback time. And if you guys want to give us your feedback, remember I promised that you I would give you this information. Send us an email, radiotfs at outlook.com, via Twitter, at radiotfs. We're on Facebook, slash radiotfs, or voicemail. And if it's safe for work, we'll play you on the air. So you can be a guest host kind of too. It's 1-425-233-8379. And uh, Dan Hellum emailed us today literally two minutes before we started recording. And he was sharing that uh, the Visual Studio Team Services, Git and DevOps content is now available. So you guys all know visualstudio.com is the place to go for all things Visual Studio on it. But what if you want to learn? We're talking about DevOps, 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 blah, blah, blah. What if you want to learn more about it? Well, we'll have it in the show notes, visualstudio.com slash DevOps. That's hard to do. they have a nice series of articles here. What is mo- monitoring? What is infrastructure as a code? What do you mean by all of this stuff? You're hurting my brain. That's all here and it's all now and it's all available. And if you're like me and you know how to spell Git occasionally on a good day, they also have uh, learning Git. Git with tutorials and best practices for individuals, teams, and enterprises. It's at visualstudio.com slash learn dash Git. And, and again, they have a series of posts. What is version control? What is Git? What is Git with TFS or, or team services? Uh, what is a feedback on pull requests, <laughs> migrating from TFVC to Git? All that content is here. And I want to really, I appreciate Dan for uh, giving us the heads up about this. Absolutely. This looks really, really good. And um, I like the new, the the clean format of it, it's it's really easy to follow along. In the Learn Git section underneath the, con, you know, converting from TFVC to Git, they even get into details around things like Git LFS for any assets that you may have in TFVC, huh. which is really helpful because, as we all know, large binary files in Git is bad, okay? It's just, it's it's not a good idea. So <laughs> it'll actually guide you through some of the LFS features and, and, and getting that stuff uh, appropriated, too. So uh, well done. Awesome. Well, Josh, I think that's a show. What do you think? I think it's a show, man. All right. Well, we're going to have one more show. Uh, right now, we're scheduled for two weeks from today on the 21st, so that'll be the last show of the year. I'm not really sure what we're going to have on it. Maybe it's, uh, are we going? should we do a look back at 2017 show? 20, 2017 a look back? That would be perfect in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. I, okay. I'm going to... Josh, delete, yeah. delete, delete, delete. No longer guest host. 
I think we should do a look back to 2017 at the beginning. Why not? Okay. I'll look back to 2016 and I'll look forward to 2017. I like it. But then we have to kind of think and remember that it's been, you know, this week has been a long month, let alone the entire year. Couldn't you just do one of those shows like they do on like uh, some of the cable shows where, where you think you're getting a new episode and it just ends up being a clip montage from every other episode <laughs> dude that would be work man you know we don't do editing on the show and i have to go through all the shows and like clip all that stuff <laughs> yeah you'd have to lock yourself in a in a soundproof room for like two weeks and yeah, yeah that doesn't sound i don't think our listeners want that but actually what do you guys think you the listeners what do you want for our last show for 2016 which is going to be episode 128 which is a pretty cool number too you know very kind of geeky number uh again let us know radio tfs at outlook.com at radio tfs uh, voicemail one four two five two three three eight three seven nine, and let us know what you think we should do for the last show of the year and uh josh thank you for being on and i want to thank you all for listening to radio tfs 